Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, your client loaned $100,000 to a former business partner to use to flip properties, but the former partner used the money to pay off his own personal debts. Yeah, Dennis, the challenge here was that the defendant claimed to not have any money. Even his own lawyer claimed the defendant wasn't paying him. So how did you resolve it? Well, we put his money where his mouth was, asking, why don't you just agree to stipulate to a judgment that would save our client and his tens of thousands of dollars pursuing this matter in court. Now my client has a judgment as though he had gone to trial and won. Well, that's another real success. Folks, I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. podcast with me and my good friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. Today we may also have uh, my good friend, Amanda Washington, who may be chiming in as well as a guest. Uh, she is a liberal, uh, but enjoys talking about the issues, and uh, it, it'll be interesting to see her perspective. Now, uh, the big story of the day, and one which will be echoing for many, many years, is the attacks in Paris that happened just this past Friday, November 13. Uh, what had happened, for future reference, is that uh, there was an attack in a soccer stadium. There was an attack in a theater in which a rock concert was going on. And there was an attack in a restaurant. Uh, the, there was approximately 135 people killed in the process and more than 300 severely wounded. Uh, ISIS claimed responsibility for it. Uh, President Hollande decided that this was an act of war. I think he's right. Uh, and he also said that uh, he's going to show no, no mercy in the response. And uh, promptly over the weekend started taking major airstrikes against ISIS positions in Syria and perhaps Iraq. Um, that is the background to the story. Uh, they caught... Uh, some seven of the eight uh, suicide bombers, or sorry, either they killed themselves or they otherwise caught uh, the, the perpetrators. And they're also now going and uh, catching those who facilitated the process as well, many of whom are uh, in Brussels. All right, so this is on the heels. Now, what, what does this mean? I mean, it, you know, it's one thing to look at it from a, a tragedy point of view. It's not a tragedy. It is an act of war. Uh, no less an act of war than the bombing by the Nazis of London during the, uh, the, the, the war against London in, uh, in the 40s. And the response that Churchill made was a, was a response uh, as an act of war as well. So, so here we are. Here we are. This is, uh, I don't want to look at it just as an isolated moment. Isn't this terrible, like, like you know, a plane crash coming from the sky? And, you know, that's, those stories are tragedies where you know, a pilot clips his wing and, and he lands into an apartment building. It's very sad, you know, but, it, but it has no meaning. It's not, it doesn't move the news in any way. It doesn't 
you know, aside from the, the tragic loss that the families suffer, it's of little consequence. This, however, these, what we'll call the French attacks, are far more significant. They are, first of all, reflective of, of where we are in the war against terrorism and radical jihad. And it's also, I wanted, so I want to discuss that, and then I want to discuss where we will go from here. Okay, two different things. All right, first, let's talk about how it's reflective of the war uh, itself. Um, this could not have happened but for the um, embrace of the uh, radical jihadists by the socialist countries of Europe, right? I mean, it's, it's pretty basic. They, they open up their doors for the purpose of um, fostering socialism, their, their great fondness for socialism. And, and then they're surprised when they have things called no-go zones, where Muslim communities crop up and the police dare not go, where they have their own system of, of laws, whether it's similar to Sharia or actual Sharia, I'm not quite sure, where there's uh, riots that erupt all the time, where there are demands uh, upon the French citizenry to, uh, to respect their culture, but they won't respect your culture, where suddenly that there are massive uh, prayers that disrupt traffic and otherwise. Uh, throughout Paris and throughout uh, the major cities of France, and for that matter, Europe. And then, uh, <laughs> and not only that, but they demonize their own Christianity, you know, their own back. They don't even have Christianity anymore. Let's, let's face it, Christianity as a, as a true faith and an underpinning faith in, in Europe doesn't exist. It's gone. It's been gone for decades at this point. So then we're surprised why anything is happening um, you know, in terms of the, the religious conflict between the two, uh, one, one being Islam on the one hand and one being Christianity on the other. There is no Christianity. There's no one there fighting. There's no one who has the passion to say, this ain't right. We're fighting you or we're going to take you, we're going to take you on. So if we had that, then, then this whole thing wouldn't be happening in the first place. So what is, what is the conflict? You know, we talk about a clash of civilizations, I, and I agree that it is a clash of civilizations. But let's look at the armies, so to speak. You have one army that, that is fully committed to the game. In fact, so much so that they're willing to die for it, to kill themselves in the process of any, of any attack. And they, they consider themselves to be martyrs and such, and, and they love themselves for it, and they get praised for it by their families and such, and the streets are named after them and such. And uh, who do we have on the other side? A bunch of people who don't even know that there is... A, a war going on at all. People who just simply say, I wish you wouldn't do that. I, I hope it doesn't happen again. That's all, that, that's, all that's going on. You know, and, and they, they're always reactive. They and their first inclination is to blame their own culture and score in their own background and their own historical legacy. Oh, Christian, Christians do bad things too. Oh, we're all at fault. We have to recycle. Like you said in a radio <laughs> program the other day, brilliant line. Oh, thank you. Uh, rather than defend what is good about their culture, although flawed, like anything else is, and say, no, we're worthy of existing. Right. They don't do that. And they want to appease, is what you're saying. And they yes. think that there's some magical combination of, of perfect statements and perfect uh, um, accommodations to the, to the Muslim faith that will somehow engender this great equilibrium, this great utopia one day where Muslim and and non-Muslim will somehow get along so famously, and everyone will talk about the old days where things were so misunderstood, and it was such a tough time. 
But now there's no more terrorism. Now there's everyone gets along, and people are you know working in the bakeries together. They're wake, they they shake hands, they smile at each other. You know, your faith is yours, and my faith is mine. And it's all kumbaya. If we could just make shawarma with pork, everything would be <laughs> perfect, right? Yeah, that's right. That's their attitude. And, and, and they don't realize that there is no stopping uh, this until you are gone. It, it's truly like the Terminator preview that, that uh, they always uh, foster in the very beginning. He has no feelings. He has no remorse. He will not stop until you are dead. You can't negotiate with him. He right. is relentless. Right. All he does is work to kill you. That's it. That's it. There's he, no other thing. Yeah. First thing he thinks about in the morning and the last thing he thinks about at night and probably what he dreams about is the, killing every single non-Muslim that he confronts. And then his own people after that, too. But that is his main mission. Understand that, and then you understand what the problem is. So if you were to... Look, I... I I go to sports games of my, my children, especially my, my older son. And, you know, you, you, go, you go watch the teams. And here's my, my kid's team. And here's the other school's team. And they're both, you know, seems to be evenly matched. They, they're all about the same age, so they're about the same height, uh, same level of strength. Their, their education level is about the same. And, uh, you know, the match is on. And they both understand what the rules of the game are. But that ain't happening here. This game, if you were to call it a game, uh, you know, I only wish it would be a, a game. But this game is a game where one side comes in with, with chainsaws and knives and machine guns and machetes and, and, uh, and fire and flamethrowers. And guns. Don't forget guns. Oh, yeah, and guns. Uh, and, and all sorts of dastardly ideas. Um, and the other side comes in, well, with nothing at all. They just, they, they come in with a lot of hope. And open arms. <laughs> That's right. Their, their greatest weapon is hope that it won't happen, <laughs> right? And you, you know what, what's going to happen in that game. Now, we're, we're watching a very slow-moving game, of course, in this process. And, and the Europeans, uh, maybe it's, it's too late, I don't know. I think it is. The Europeans keep on thinking that somehow we'll just, you know, keep on saying the right things and, and say phrases like that the future of, of, uh, does not belong to those who slander Islam. Uh, you know that, that, that somehow we, we need to, you know, support the boycott against Israel and, and, and all the wonderful things that they think are wonderful, and it just doesn't seem to work. Nothing you you say seems to truly appease them. It doesn't. It's not as if they'll say, okay, we'll do uh, less in the way of terrorism if you only do X. There's there's no negotiating. It's not it's not even like the. The, the uh, nuclear, mutually assured destruction issue of the of the old days during the Cold War, right, where there was an understanding, okay, well, you reduce your nuclear missiles, and, and if you take that gesture, then we'll take the same thing, and, and one day we'll all be kumbaya. Never mind that that wouldn't work anyway, but, let's, but, but at least the rationale was there. Here, there is no rationale. It's, it's as if the Europeans are saying, what do you want? We, we, we want to give it to you so that you just stop this madness. Help us help you, right? To use the famous uh, Jerry Maguire line. But they, but they don't. They don't have anything. The Europeans have nothing to give them that the, the Muslims want. They can't understand the reality, which is the only thing the other side wants, is the madness. Right. They want the madness and they want the death. They want Sharia law all the way through. And even then, 
after after that glorious day, I mean, you know, it's not as if the Europeans are the only ones who are completely um, uh, naive, right? <laughs> the, the Muslims, the, the radical ones, certainly among them, they, they, they're also naive. In the, you know, what, what happens when they take over all of Europe, right? It, it, are, what's the plan? Well, apparently <laughs> they expect it to be as peaceful of a place as those wonderful countries in the Middle East, and, uh, excluding there, Israel, are. There you and go. have been for the last 60 <laughs> they, years. They'll, they'll make it into another Syria. Into another uh, another Iraq as it as it once was, they'll make it to a, to an Iran at best. They're, they'll be lucky if they, it could be like Iran. Yeah, Libya, Tunisia, <clears throat> Yemen, you name it. That's what it's going to be. It's not going to be Dubai, right? Okay, it will not be Dubai. And Dubai is uh, part of the heathen nations as well. So right. Dubai has its own set of issues, but right. you know, money talks there at least. There's right. a there's a veil of civilization. Right. The whole thing that I want to take in terms of, of how we look at what happened in Paris is, and I talked about this in my show, which is, why are you so surprised? Why, why is this so shocking to you? You, 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 you were all wide-eyed and crazy and everything else, and this, but, but is this really a surprise to you? Did you, I mean, you, you let in hundreds of thousands and ultimately millions over the years of these radical Muslims, uh, many of whom were radical, rather, um, but these these families, whole families that didn't even speak a word of French, and just said, hey, come on in anyway. Don't bother learning about French. Don't bother learning about our culture. Don't learn, uh, bother learning about uh, Christianity. Don't bother uh, you know, tolerating us. You, you can have your own thing. You can have your no-go zones and such like that. And, and to the point that it's now 12% of the population. More than one out of every 10 people is a Muslim in France. And then, and then they're so surprised that something like this happens. They, and, and, and France knows better than anyone. They're the ones who fought the Algerians. It was, it was horrific war. They, they know the radical Islamist way. But they still absorbed it. And, and in this particular attack last week, it gets even worse. Because they found at least two of the perpetrators were Syrian, in finger quotes, refugees. Right. Remember those well-fed soldier-looking guys oh, who yeah. were coming in without a shirt on their back saying, we're your tired, you're poor, you're weak, please give us shelter yes, in your yes. land. With the cell phones. We're, we're hungry. <laughs> with, yeah, with, those guys. With the nice clothes. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, so the point is, you make a great point about the historical action that France has been going under with this stuff for the last 30 years. Okay, that's well and good. But this is the acute stuff that has been happening the last few weeks. Yeah, just the last few weeks alone. And, and then they're so surprised that, that one of the killers, uh, if not two of the killers, uh, actually came through this so-called refugee process, right? Here we are. Here, you know, was it worth it, France? To even let one monster like this in, right? If he, to the extent that he contributed to to these killings, was it worth it? And and I ask, <laughs> we're doing the same thing. We're, we're right on the heels, you know, doing this, and, and where we're saying uh, the Democrats' candidates just recently had a debate, and they all talked about how sixty-five thousand uh, sixty-five thousand uh, Syrian uh, uh, migrants would be acceptable somehow. Why? Why is that acceptable for one thing? But, but I ask this, 65,000, if even one of them committed something as small, and I'm talking about relatively small compared to what happened in the France attacks recently, but if even one of them committed something as small as another Fort Hood massacre. Or the Merced stabbing last week. Yeah, exactly. Just one. 
right? And that, that took one person. He, he planned it all out by himself. He didn't have to communicate with himself. It's, it's easy enough to hide from the authorities when you're not texting and sending uh, coded messages to anyone else, right? If it's only you deciding it, it's all the easier to do it. Yeah, one trip to Williams-Sonoma, buy one Wustoff knife, go to one courtyard yeah. at a college, and stab away. Right. Is that worth it? Is that the if that one person in the sixty-five thousand is it worth it? If you say that's okay, at what point? Okay, well, yeah, but it's it's worth it because of the compassion that we need to show to the other sixty-four thousand nine hundred and ninety-nine. All right, I mean, to, if, if it's exactly sixty-five thousand. All right, okay. So what number is still unacceptable? Because it won't be just one. How about two? How about ten? How about twenty? And so on. Because I can I can guarantee you that at least one percent. And, and that's being very conservative about it. At least 1% of the 65,000, which is, is what, um, uh, 650 monsters, that one, the 650 among them will want to do some extreme damage to this country. That's a lot, my friends. And if you think it's only 1%, you're a fool, okay? Because it's going to be more like 20%, 25%, maybe even 30% who will actively engage in some sort of jihad that they will be planning. And if they don't do it today, they'll do it, and if they don't do it tomorrow, if they don't do it tomorrow, <clears throat> then they'll do it next month, and so on. You're just, it's just a, a time bomb ready to, you know, to blow up. Tick, 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 I say. So you do the math. This is just pure math. And just, and for, for, to further illustrate how virulently dangerous this is, yeah. there were supposedly, let's just assume their numbers, there were supposedly eight terrorists who pulled off the Paris attack. And there were 350 badly wounded and 120 or 130 or so killed. Yeah. What's one out of, what's one eighth of 120? One uh, eighth of 120 is about, uh, um, Oh, I want to say about 20. fifteen or so. Yeah, about, about twenty. Okay, right. so 50, that means 50, one guy killed mm -hmm. fifteen, and one guy wounded out of the three hundred fifty. One eighth would be three times yep. fifteen, forty-five. Mortally wounded, forty-five killed fifteen people. That's right. And you want to risk multiplying that number by sixty-five thousand? You want to risk that? Yeah. And and let's keep how dangerous the JV team ISIS is in perspective here. Right. We're all focusing right now on the news cycle of the Paris attack only. Last week, Merced, here in California, the stabbing. And then a few days before that, a passenger plane was brought down, yeah. killing 250 people. So in a week and a half, they've now killed or wounded close to 600 people Yeah, in three continents, including yeah. California, right here in the USA. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it, it's just naive to, to think this. Now, look, uh, you know I've turned on uh, the issue of Obama. Uh, being simply naive, there is. Let's talk about how the president has responded to the French attacks. He said some nice words, such as, "You know, France has, has been our oldest ally, and we need to protect her." And these, this is really bad. What happened? Just super, super duper bad, and it's a crime against humanity and such like that. But it, it went without saying. And and I, you and Captain I both. obvious. <laughs> that's right. Like you, you have to give. You know what? He is excellent at one thing. And, and you'll have say to... Say nothing? <laughs> well, that's true, too. Uh, no, no, he's excellent. He does say stuff. He's excellent at being consistent. Okay? Just superb. Okay? And, and, and that's why we know what we know. That's why we can meaningfully conclude. You see, 
When you establish <clears throat> that Obama's main plan is to downgrade America as much as possible, then you can actually start predicting what he will do. You and I and some other of my conservative friends, we started you know, actually predicting how Obama will respond to this. And we said he will not use the word Islam. He will not use the word radical Islam. He will, he will deflect it as much as possible. He will not commit any more ground troops as a result of this, right? Um, he, he may, he'll pay, of course, lip service to how bad this is. And that's exactly what happened. And then we, we asked ourselves, what will he do? And, and, you know, will this be some sort of galvanizing moment where he realizes, well, we really ought to give a second thought as to whether we um, you bring in 65,000 Syrian migrants into this country? Did it, did it phase him whatsoever? Not at all. No, on the contrary. Double down. Let's double down and do it and accelerate the process because, you know, it's so good to have them on board. Yeah, if we, if we don't do this, the only thing they'll do is they'll attack our allies over there. Right. And at least if they do it here, we can keep an eye on them. <laughs> I see. <laughs> but, but you're, you're In other words, right. bring the war over here. Yeah. The, <laughs> the point is, you're absolutely right. It's become like a drinking game. Yeah. The point of a drinking game, yeah, in case true. those don't understand this, is to lose. You want to lose because the idea is to get drunk. Right. Right? Right. right. So it's become predictable. We know, oh, terrorist attack, here comes the compassion speech, drink. <laughs> That's, right. That's very funny. A terrorist attack, yeah. uh, next day press conference, not going to say radicalism. Islam, jihad, or terrorism, drink. <laughs> right, yeah, that's right. And every every time that they do say, if, if he were to say radical Islam, then, then you have to drink some coffee <laughs> instead, yeah. right? <laughs> Sober up, go to so, an AA meeting. That's right. Well, that's, the, yeah, that's the only time you don't drink. Uh, you know, but, but in addition to that, you know, we other, we also know, for example, we know that he pushed out the Christian migrants from Syria, no less. Okay, so why, why does this make a difference? Why are the Christians less of a migrant or a refugee, to use their phrase? Why? How, how could you possibly argue this? Um, so, you know, to, to argue this is to not see the reality on the ground. So we think that, that you know, the president simply wants to downgrade America, wants to, wants to show uh, favoritism toward Islam. Uh, and everything he's said has been consistent with this. On my Sunday show, for example, I brought up the examples. That, that there's many more examples, but I'll give two. One is uh, his famous comment in 2010 um, that he had told the new director of NASA, NASA, uh, that uh, what he wanted him to achieve, because the NASA director had stepped down at that time, the NASA director said, the president asked me to, to do three things. One is to advance science for children. Two is to, um, uh, to, to consider uh, other scientific issues. I, it wasn't that important. And, and three, and foremost, he said, he wanted me to showcase Muslim uh, contributions to science and to make them feel good about themselves, quote, unquote. This is from the NASA director. Because, a that's, liberal. Why, because that's why we have a space program. <laughs> Apparently. That's right. Yes, designed to showcase. I was very concerned when I heard that. Now, when I, when I heard that in 2010, you know, I didn't vote for Obama. And I, I didn't feel he was good for the country and such. But when I heard that, I thought, that is odd. It's a very weird statement to say that, that, that he, he feels that the, the mission of NASA is to make Muslims feel good. And the foremost mission to make Muslims feel good about their contributions to science, such as it is, all right? Then the other comment that I brought up, and this is one of a myriad of, of 20 or 30 comments, 
the, the, when he goes to the United Nations. And in his speech, this is not a hot mic situation. <laughs> this is a, in a speech that he broadcast very proudly. This was on the teleprompter. On the teleprompter. And he said, let it be known that the future does not belong to those who slander the prophet of Islam. Okay? <laughs> like, Wow. What does that mean? What, what does the word slander mean for, for you know, in, in, this concept, in this context? I mean, I, I know as a lawyer what it means, but, but what does that mean, Mr. President? What are you saying? Why did you say that? What, don't, you, don't you think it emboldens the radical Muslims? I'm not talking about all Muslims, of course, but the radical Muslims, don't you think that that emboldens them? Anyway, I, it, it, it caused me great consternation. And as a consequence, we are, we are now you know, uh, looking back now into the history of what led up to these horrible French attacks. And we have to pull ourselves away from seeing this as a simple tragedy, as if, as if it were you know, a plane that accidentally fell from the sky because you know, the pilot got drunk or you know, fainted or something like that, and then and they crashed into an or airplane building. Or a seagull or had a seagull, or, or an earthquake, or a tsunami, or all those things that, that do happen in life. Um, but those are tragedies. But this ain't a tragedy, my friends. It's, it? a tra it's tragic for the families, of course. But as, it, as, a, as an event, it's not a tragedy. It's an act of war. Did it, did it bother you after 9-11 when you heard over and over on the news they would say the tragic events of 9-11? Do you remember that? Yes, yes, I did. I did. But let, let me introduce our guest uh, today, Amanda Washington. Uh, lawyer extraordinaire, um, great liberal thinker. At what firm? Lurian Seltzer. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> I was I just walked in, so I didn't hear all of the right. We, we've been discussion. talking about uh, the French attacks, of course, yeah. and we are talking about it in two different contexts. One is uh, the context of, you know, how did we get here, right? I, you know, how did it lead up to this? And and our point was, why are we so surprised? Why is this such a uh, why are they so shocked? Shocked that there's gambling going on here, so to speak, right? From Who the movie is cast. shocked? Europe, generally speaking, and for that matter, the media and, and they all. I feel like they're and, and the outraged, second, but I don't know about yeah. shocked. I think everyone okay. knew the danger of ISIS, and they've been trying right. to uh, um, battle them for quite some time now. Okay. All right, and the second thing we'll be talking about is where do we go from here? What is this the beginning of a, of a, of a, a long time, long term war? Is it a World War Three, or is it is it more the same in the sense that we'll just kind of hope that this doesn't happen again? Uh, will they? How how responsive would they be? Because after the Charlie Hebdo attacks, for example, which were pretty significant, um, you know they had a demonstration in Paris, uh, which is nice. It's always nice to have a demonstration. <laughs> <laughs> um, they held hands. <laughs> they held hands. Uh, but, you know, it was more or less the same uh, after that. And uh, they didn't treat that as an act of war. And maybe they, maybe they didn't have to. I, we can discuss that all day long, but nothing. We, we, do, we can agree that they didn't up their game. They didn't participate more in the war against ISIS or, or otherwise. Uh, now the question is, will, they, will there be a, a meaningful change? Now, already something has has changed, um, which is, and I have to give credit to Hollande. He's he's a big time liberal socialist and everything else, but Hollande, at least so far, he's he's speaking like a real leader. He's saying we are at war, we will show no mercy, and we're gonna go get you, okay? And he also closed out the borders, which was in violation of the EU rules and everything else. It's a very uh, similar reaction to what we had after 9/11. Perhaps so, um, and and I and I respect that. Okay, so I have to give credit where credit is due. 
I just want him to follow through. Because if it's just going to be, we're going to, and, and he, by the way, over the weekend, already has he already has done some significant airstrikes. If it's just going to be those airstrikes, however, and then we're going to more or less stop and, you know, see whether or not, you know, the public is war-weary already, uh, then, then I'm not so impressed. You know, we, we need to have a sustained effort what to really stop it. You? What would impress you? Um, you might want to talk a little bit louder. What would impress you, oh, okay. What would impress me? <laughs> what impressed me is a, a sustained change uh, where you actually see French presence committed to the, the, the ground and actually making full-on attack constantly. Bombardments all the time. I think they need to participate and treat this as a real war, not as... Like, you know, every time we get attacked, we'll, we'll, we'll hit you. I, I think they need to clean out the swamp completely. And, and it's, going to, it's going to be hard work. It's going to be expensive. A lot of French lives will be lost. But I, I think they should be doing and we should be doing the, the same. Uh, that's what would impress me, to answer your question. Now, look, I, I think, uh, you know, fair is fair. I, I think that Roosevelt was a fantastic wartime president. Okay? I, and I despise him as a, uh, as a leader when it comes to domestic affairs. I think he was terrible for the country. But Roosevelt, you got to give him credit. He wanted us to get into that war. He, want, he was chomping the bit to fight Hitler. Uh, he got his pretext uh, when, not his pretext, but he got a legitimate reason to fight, go into the war when, when uh, Jap Japan happened to bomb Pearl Harbor. And then the very next day, or maybe the same day, Germany decided to declare war on, on the United States. So Roosevelt was right to throw up his hands and say, well, what can we do? We're at war. And, and they galvanized the entire nation. And in three and a half short years, of our involvement at least, America went from being uh, you know, a small schnooky army uh, that was smaller than the size of Yugos, uh, Romania's army to the most significant world power the world has ever known. In three and a half years. I, I admire that. Okay? So Roosevelt did the right. He, he treated the war as he should, which is war is war. If you're going to go to war, go to war. Well, isn't that a little different than what's going on now with ISIS, where we have a clear enemy, a country where ISIS is sort of spread out through so many different parts of the world? It's yeah, good, much good more question. difficult to declare war on yeah. a particular nation. It's a great question. Uh, you know, ISIS is actually more like a hybrid than, than al-Qaeda was. Um, al-Qaeda was everywhere, uh, in a sense, and they had terrorist cells here and there. It was kind of like a... A franchise, if you will, right? But they never attempted to set up governmental bodies right. or agencies. Right. They never appeared to or tried to be a nation state or name themselves a state. Right. I ISIS, by contrast, is kind of a morphing. It's, it's, it's a state. It, it, it has landmass that's controlling. The borders are always moving. That's true. It's not a classic bordered country like France or, or America, of course. But ISIS is, in fact, and that's why I say it's more like a hybrid. The good news is they're definable. We know where they are. Um, now, will we get rid of every single ISIS member? No, because a lot of them are here. A lot of them are in South America and Australia. Got that. But the 95% the of the monsters are in the territory uh, of Syria and Iraq right now. And that's where the battle really is. And they're, where they're really controlling a lot of territory. Strangle them and you, you go a long way. And I think you can get rid of 90% of them, at least in, in North America, because most of those, and this might sound terribly both um, uh, insensitive uh, and possibly sarcastic, but it's absolutely true. Most of them are on college campuses. Yeah. UC Irvine, Merced, 
Yeah. Cal State Merced, UCLA, they're there. Mm-hmm. You've you, seen them. I right. think you would get bipartisan support, liberal or conservative, to declare war on ISIS. The problem comes when you declare war, or in, at least in rhetoric, on all Muslims and Islam in general. And that's where it's a problem and you're not going to get widespread bipartisan support. I think go after ISIS, declare war on ISIS. Mm-hmm. Everyone would agree, especially after something like this, now's the time well, to galvanize the countries to do it. Well, here's something that we never said, right? We, didn't, we never said that we are encouraging a war against all of Islam altogether. I mean, that's just, we it just didn't say that. statement that a concern about Muslims being on college campuses that sounds to me like rhetoric against no, no ISIS. He said ISIS. ISIS on college campuses. Yeah. yeah, I heard the word Muslim, not ISIS. No, you heard ISIS. Yeah, if, I said ISIS yeah. is on college and, and campuses, if he, if he, and they are. The guy at UC Merced who did the knife attack that the sheriff of Merced County said has no relation to to ISIS, religion, Islam, or anything, was found with a printout of an ISIS flag on his body. He was, uh, his computers were loaded with ISIS documents. He was ISIS. Right. Okay. ISIS uh, is on campus. Yeah. And they're open about concerning. it. Right. And, the, and, and any, any extremist um, uh, Muslim, uh, radical Muslim, I, I don't care whether they're ISIS or otherwise, anyone with a knife and wants to kill uh, as... As ineffective or effective as he may be, he's a monster, whether he, he's part of ISIS or some other radical uh, uh, agenda. I and, would agree with that. Yeah, and sadly, look, the, the reality is we have to face reality. Okay, that's, that is the sad truth. And the sad truth is, as I, as I said in my Sunday show, uh, not all Muslims, of course, are terrorists. That's a truism. We'll say that all day long. But it is also true that virtually every terrorist is a Muslim today, good for today. Okay, 99.9% of the, the terrorist attacks that you'll hear today are, are exactly that. And uh, it's gotten to the point now where when people uh, hear an explosion, they assume, correctly or incorrectly, that there is some sort of uh, Muslim uh, backing to that, uh, radical Muslim backing to that. And it's tragic. It's tragic for, that is tragic in the sense that it, it really does sully the name of Islam for anybody who believes that Islam is a peaceful religion, uh, whether you're a moderate Muslim or otherwise, right? So, but, but I want the moderate Muslims to go out in the streets. I want them to, to complain and say, don't do this in my name. Don't do this in, my, in Allah's name for that matter. That's what I want. And I know that you would want that too. That would be a great day, but that ain't, that ain't happening, sadly enough. All right, so what does this mean? Does it mean, uh, my good friend, that we are going to see uh, a new day dawning. Is this going to be a, a time where, I mean, to go to one extreme, which I don't think is going to happen, but I'm just, I'll give you the bookends of what could be happening. One is that we, we reinstate the, the draft, right? Uh, that we all start uh, thinking in militaristic terms. We have a huge war upon us, and uh, we, we have radical Muslims who are infiltrated the system. We need to weed them out. Uh, our whole way of life changes to fight radical Islam. That's one end of the spectrum. The other end is to say, you know what? Let's just kind of hope that things don't happen in the future and uh, really uh, express our disappointment. You know, <laughs> and that's the other bookend, right? I laugh because that's not going to happen. <laughs> no, of course not. No, I, I, I agree. Not. I'm just saying, I'm, but those are the bookends, right? right. Okay. Right. I mean, we can agree what the the the, the goal lines are, I guess. Yes. All right. Where do you think 
um, it's it's going to go. Um, okay. Oh, okay. Where where <laughs> we just had a time estimate here. Thirty-four. Uh, Thirty-four. All right. Uh, where do you think uh, it's, it'll go? Because we should wrap up soon. Where do you think it's going to go? You, you, Amanda. Where? I mean, I'm, there's no right answer, right? I mean, we're we're trying to predict the future. Where do you think it's going to go, and where do you think it should go? Well, I definitely don't think that we'll ever we'll have the draft again okay. in response to this particular threat. I do. Yeah, talk louder. If it you? didn't happen after 9/11, we're not going to have it happen right now. Good point. I do think that that's a good point. There will be a war declared on ISIS. Mm -hmm. I think from the UN and all of all of hopefully. The U.S. as well. Mm -hmm. um, I think that some reevaluation will need to take place of where we focus the efforts, the current mm -hmm. efforts, and where we send troops. Um, but I do think that this will galvanize Europe and the United States to collectively move towards a more aggressive attack on ISIS. Okay. Uh, what do you think should happen? That's what I think should happen. Okay. Oh, okay. I understand. So that's what you think will happen and should happen. I think it will happen. and should. Okay. Gotcha. Um, interesting. I, I, you know, we have a lot of commonality in that. Um, I, I think the last thing that I want, I mean, and I'm being a little sarcastic here, is a, a war declared by the United Nations against ISIS because what will happen is, <laughs> to the extent that we have men going in to, to battle with ISIS with their blue helmets and all that stuff, <laughs> they, 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 as soon as they would be shot upon, by ISIS or anybody else, they'd say, we're out of here. <laughs> I mean the nations within the United Nations. Uh, okay, seriously. A coalition of some kind. A coalition of okay. uh, Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm from your lips to God's ears, um, I think we should have, treat this as a world war, almost, um, and that uh, we get uh, the Germans and the French and uh, the English and, and, of course, the Americans behind it all. Uh, that would be good. Uh, I don't think we need a draft. Uh, to that to that effort, uh, I think we have a very strong volunteer army that's very effective if if we keep it that way. Uh, but I, I I dare say that I I don't think it's going to happen. I think that the the momentum that we now have, which is you know their equivalent of September 12, 2001, um, I think it's going to quickly dissipate as soon as there's quiet on the on the Western Front, as it were. I think that uh, we will not see. Uh, the, the, the great effort that, that you were talking about. I think, though, that it's not going to be all quiet. I think that, if anything, the momentum is now in ISIS's boat, and they are going to continue their onslaught. And right. I think the more attacks we have, the more need to respond the world is going to have to to deal with. And yeah. Because there have been three in two weeks, three major ones in And two I don't weeks. think yeah. it's going to stop. I think, unfortunately, yeah. we're going to have a lot more attacks or people get through the system. Yeah. Okay. Well, you might be right. If, if that's the case, then, then yes, then the momentum will continue on. Uh, one last question before we go to our break. What do you think about uh, the, the uh, immigration issue? You know, America has, putting aside uh, what Angela Merkel did with the 800,000 that she wants to bring in from the Syrian migrants and such, we are now learning that 75% uh, of them are young males, which is concerning. Uh, we're also learning that a great uh, part of them, like 40%, are not even from Syria. So they're coming from all over the world. Um, you know, it, in other words, a lot of it's for opportunity. I don't blame them, by the way, but it is what it is. Um, and that we're now learning that uh, one and perhaps two of the suicide uh, killers from this uh, last Friday's attacks were from the so-called uh, the migrant 
um, a group that just came in. What, what do you think is going to happen in terms of, and what should happen, vis-a-vis -vis the European um, uh, decision to allow more migrants in? And then related to that, what do you think about uh, the Obama administration allowing and talking about 65,000 to 100,000 uh, being admitted into America? Does that concern you? Obviously, it concerns me. I think it is a major problem both ways. I think the people needing um, asylum and help from various countries are there, and the vast majority mm -hmm. are probably, um, we don't know. I mean, right. we have to assume that there are dangerous people amongst the flooding of people. Right. I think um, it needs, I think that there needs to be an, a much more organized way of dealing with this migration. And, but I think it is something that has to be dealt with. It can't, a denial of entry completely is not a possibility, but. Why not? I'm sorry, why, why not? Why, why do we have to let um, migrants from Syria into our country? I think that it is a worldwide problem. These human beings are, need, seek asylum. And I think that we, to deny people, we, we have all sorts of people come into the United States, and Europe has the same, similar um, mm -hmm. situations. Um, a lot, asylum is, is something that we do allow, obviously in an organized fashion, but there are situations where there's human rights and human needs, and there are millions of people out there who need help. Right. Well, the asylum laws are actually fairly uh, circumspect. One is that, that it's for um, political reasons or religious reasons. Uh, and there's a third one I forget right now, but but none of which apply with the Syrian migrants. Uh, they just want to get the hell out of Dodge. It, there's, there, you don't get political asylum because your country is really a crappy place to live in, as as much as we'd like to. Because if that were the case, then you'd get you know flood of uh, refugees from, and you would call them refugees properly from Africa. I mean, they have civil wars there all the time, and it's horrific what's happening. We let some people in from Africa through yeah, I know, the asylum but process. It's based upon, but not 65, when there's a targeted threat of genocide or um, an annihilation of a people, that those kinds of threats are... are we, we didn't let anyone from Rwanda in, for example. I mean, that, that's, that they were really threatened with death. Okay, These guys uh, just want a better way of life. A lot of them want a better way of life. It's, it's messy. There's no doubt about it in Syria. And then, of course, we're getting a lot of people from other countries. Anyway, I don't, I don't mean to argue about that. I'm yeah. simply saying, you know, what, what is your basis to, to believe that we, we kind of have to bring in some people? I don't think we necessarily have to bring in a specific number of people, but if there is a group of people who seek asylum to not allow people just because they're Syrian or just because they may be terrorists is not the, the type of argument I look at. I think that it, we need to obviously keep this in mind and the threat that, of what's going on, and especially if we declare an actual war, these kinds right. of things change. Well, I certainly agree with you uh, that we should not be discriminated against them, uh, make, it, make it worse for them or more hard for them to come into the country than, they might, than it might be for some other people to come to the country. But, we, but I can tell you, make it very hard for a lot of Europeans to come into the country. I, I think we should make it just as hard. I don't necessarily disagree. Uh, all right. Well, that's that's fair enough. Uh, okay. So that's the the migration issue, um, and, and many look. We could both agree there are many moving parts, and, and it's impossible to predict the future. That's true. But one thing we do know, and Amanda, you and I play chess, and she's a very good chess player, by the way. Thank you. Say. Yep. Uh, 
one thing you know is that when you know when when you and I begin a game, right? And I open up with my first pawn, and you open up with yours, or whoever starts first doesn't matter. Uh, and, and then somebody comes to you and says, "All right, how's the game going to end?" Right? <laughs> Not only is who going to win, but how is the checkmate going to be? What what uh, what pieces are going to use to create that checkmate? And how many moves are going to be involved? And where is it going to be on the what what quadrant of the board it's going to be? At? You and I would both look at that questioner and say, hell if I know, right? <laughs> right. But, and likewise, um, Kasparov and Bobby Fischer and all the great chess players would say exactly the same thing. How would I know? And the same thing is true in this conflict with ISIS. We don't know what the future holds. We do know one thing, that just like you will continue to move your chess pieces and defend your side of the board and to advance your, your pieces for a checkmate, I will also move my pieces and continue to advance and try to make my own checkmate, right? It's, there, there are two parties here. ISIS will, will morph, and maybe, maybe we will morph also, and we need to morph. We're not morphing. We're slow to morph, to change. But, but ISIS, Ari, you, can, you, you would be the first one to agree with me on this. ISIS is going to be changing its tactics all the time. Minute by minute. Yeah. It's, it, it, and they're always surprising us. And, they're, and they're like very, water. They follow the path of least resistance yeah. moment by moment. Yeah. And, and that's what we have to guard against. I mean, remember, ISIS, you know, the word ISIS or whatever the permutation uh, du jour is for, for them, Islamic State, ISIL or whatever, or uh, Daesh, it doesn't matter. That entity, if you were to say that phrase two years ago, just two years ago, in fact, a year and a half ago, you'd say, what's that? Right. Right? And, you know, that's, that was the JV team, according to Obama. But we didn't even know what they were. He knew, of course. He, he thought of them as the JV team. But, but look at what all they've accomplished. And I'm saying that in, a, in quotes, the horrific accomplishments that they've made. If, if, they were to, to, if they were to present a resume of all they've done and, and to an employer, the employer would say, very impressive. Get <laughs> right? them working for me. Yeah, that's right. They, yeah. These are doers. Yeah, they're, they're doers. Just not, forget about the evil part of it. They would say, wow, you've really accomplished a lot. Well, and if you could embody it in one person, he'd say, well, I've done quite a bit uh, of myself. I, we, we, uh, we think outside the box. Uh, we, yeah, first we, uh, we slaughtered the Yazidis, then we got the Kurds on the run, then we took all the territory along the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, yeah, which see, is a good real estate in Iraq and Syria, right. just so I you know. I think they are taken seriously, though, now. Well, for sure, you're right. Yes. We saw opportunity uh, when, when the Americans pulled out of Iraq, and we seized it. And uh, now look at us. We are, we are the biggest uh, operation out there. We, we are the, the new Apple compared to the old uh, Microsoft. We, we, we are the... You know, uh, you know, we are the Google compared to the old Yahoo. Yeah, we're okay. so intimidating. The violent mullahs in Iran are afraid of us. Yeah. How about that? Yeah, that's pretty significant. So an entity that can do that is an entity to watch for the future because they will constantly change. Now, they'll have their setbacks and such, and we'll, we'll pat ourselves on the back when we take back this or that town. But that's, that's just moving around the board, and you and I know Amanda— you know, it's nice to take a, a pawn once in a while, but you cannot win the game unless you have a strategy. As you and I both say in court and otherwise, a strategy will not develop itself. Right? Yeah, I think it's going to be a very difficult one given, like what we said, that ISIS is not a nation to attack. Right. It is a, a way of life or a type of people that are dispersed in a diaspora of people. 
and it's going to be very difficult to declare war on. She's right. On that kind of a group. She's right. Yeah, because it's more of a concept than a physical entity. Yeah. Ari, what would you do? What I mean, I didn't ask you the question because this is, this is a very interesting debate. Not even a debate. Uh, what you think will happen, and what do you think should happen? Well, I've, we've talked about these kind of things many times, and I've told you that when you're fighting a medieval opponent, you must engage in medieval tactics, because mm -hmm. it's what the opponent fears and understands. And the opponent is convinced that because of our modernity and civilized nature, that we will not resort to medieval tactics. So what I would do is, first of all, not only try to kill and destroy them, but work to humiliate them and torment them in ways that they find untenable. So for instance, you capture them, and then you mutilate parts of their body, and you send that back to the other ones. <laughs> the it, opinions of Mario David do not necessarily <laughs> reflect the opinions of Brock Lurie on the Brock Lurie podcast. They don't reflect your opinions <laughs> at all, and I probably won't be working for you in about 15 minutes. But the point is, that they understand. There's a story out of, um, out of Beirut in the 1980s. This is absolutely serious. The Beirut uh, terrorist bombers blew up the American barracks, and we had our responses towards them. But then they made a mistake. They took some Russians hostages. Well, the Russians seized the terrorists, cut off certain body parts, and sent those body parts back to the relatives of the terrorists, and they were never attacked again. So the things I would do would involve pig's blood, and they'd involve uh, knives, and they'd involve, to quote Pulp Fiction, going medieval on their asses. Sometimes I regret asking Ari, Ari David. <laughs> Some questions to Ari David. Look, uh, no, but no, you no. have to admit I'm right. This is what they'd understand. Yes. This is what would cause them to submit to us. Thank you very much, Colonel Kurtz. I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, do you know the reference? Yeah, from oh, Apocalypse yeah. Now. But I'm right. talking more like General Jack Black Pershing for the yes. 1920s. No, I, I, I do understand. Look, your point, aside from the methodology, which I may or may not disagree with, um, is that uh, Sissy. or may not disagree with the methodology of I do not necessarily agree with that. body part cutting. <laughs> what I will agree with for sure, and I think we all will agree with, because we know this, and I know this also from uh, my Israeli background and what I know from the Israeli army, is that the, the Arabs, uh, not, not necessarily the Arabs, but the radical Muslims uh, among them as well, Thank they, you for that. they understand <laughs> power. You exercise power, and then they don't crap on you after that. They respect you if they, they respect see you. that you're willing to have yeah. power. Yeah, yes. you, you, you do, because after all, we have a lot more power than they do. We've, we've got the, the planes. We've got the know-how. We've got the night vision. We've got all the goodies, okay? We even have nuclear bombs. Um, but, and they don't have many of those things. So the reality is if we use those things, then they might very well listen to us. This is what happened with Libya, with Gaddafi, right? When... When, uh, when Gaddafi saw that um, Bush went into Iraq and went into Afghanistan, he right away called up the State Department and said, I'll be a good boy now, right? Precisely for that reason, okay? He did not, he was, a, he was the terrorist to watch out for. He was far worse than Arafat and a lot of the other bad boys out there. Uh, remember, he was the one who brought down, I mean, he was the one who orchestrated the Pan Am over Lockerbie uh, hijacking and killings just for pure terror. Not so much anymore, okay? And he paid the damages and everything else. He wanted to be part of the League of Nations and everything else. He gave up all of his nuclear and biological everything. chemical weapons programs and was never a problem again, right. relatively speaking. Right. He was still a dictator, still a monster, but nevertheless, from a world stage point of view, we didn't have to worry about Libya. Now, uh, but they understand power. 
And that's a critical thing. And the Israelis understand this very well. When, to use uh, Ari's point, when, when a suicide bomber uh, in, you know, somehow gets over the, the wall in, in Israel and blows up some innocent uh, Israeli citizens, do you know what the Israelis do? No. What do they do? They go to the house of the family of that suicide bomber and they destroy it. Okay? And they also uh, make sure that they take, take away all uh, benefits that uh, the, the family otherwise might have. Okay? This, they, you know, they, they, the, the Arabs understand that this is not something that they want to do. They, they think long and hard before they do the suicide bombings of the Israelis because there will be consequences directly to their family. So they make it a calculation for the suicide bomber. Look, you want to be a suicide bomber? That's, that's your business, I suppose. We'll stop you. We'll hope to stop you. But if we don't stop you, well, then your family's going to suffer also. And in fact, there was news this week that there was a family that found out that one of the members of the family was going to pull off something like this, and they grabbed the guy and turned him over to the Israelis because they didn't want their house destroyed. Yeah. Works yeah. very well. Yeah, very effective. But it's the same concept. Mm -hmm. And when I talk about doing those things, I'm not talking about doing it to every one of them. I understand the power of this. You only have to do this to one. Yeah. General Jack Black Pershing had a problem with some um, Muslim jihadists back, I believe, in the era of World War I, and he captured them, f dipped his bullets in pig's blood, and shot 24 of the 25 of them. They said to the remaining one, he said, now go back to and tell uh, your people what's going to happen to them if they do this again. And there was never another problem. His word spread that this is what we were willing to do, do something on medievalist terms that they understood in their worldview. We may not even have to do, I mean, look, I, I understand what you're saying, Ari. We may not even have to engage in that sort of medievalist sort of approach. We just need to exercise extreme power and to go with it and be consistent with it and don't give a time deadline by which to pull out of it and all those things that you and I have talked about before regarding Iraq. Uh, once we do that, then we might actually have a shot. But, you know, they, they say that democracies are, are slow to war, and that's really true. It's, it's one of the great weaknesses of democracies. World War II is a great example of that. We were very slow to go there. And by the time that uh, we actually decided that we had to engage and we had no choice to engage, not only had Hitler amassed itself, himself to be such a superpower that, uh, that we needed a D-Day type invasion to actually win the war, I mean, really from a nothing ragtag army, but he had already taken over France and, and Czechoslovakia and Poland and, and so many other large swaths of Europe. Is this going to be the same thing today for us with ISIS? Are we going to be uh, in that position? Does it have to get that bad? Yeah, and to a certain extent it already is. These Yazidis who are living peaceably among their mountains, the Kurds who are living in that border area of Turkey, Syria, and Iraq. And the Kurds are a very important example in this because after Saddam's fall, They've been essentially living in peace the last nine years, not having that many problems. Their lives were really improving. And suddenly their entire society has been plunged into genocide again. It's yeah. been a nightmare for them. And now, uh, you know, these expansionist things expanding into parts of Iraq that are Shia or mm -hmm. uh, metropolitan with the cities there, it's, this is a bad situation. So many of these territories have already fallen. What do you think, Amanda? Uh, I know you voted for Obama in 2012. Yes. Uh, and I assume 2008 also. Yes. What, what do you think Obama, are you, are you happy? I mean, putting aside, you know, your general uh, support of the Liberal Party, the Democratic Party and such, are you happy with 
the way that President Obama has been responding to uh, these terrorist attacks, generally speaking, and how he's prosecuting uh, our, our efforts against ISIS. Since the attacks of Friday? No, no, no not since you know, Friday being one of the, I like among the, the speeches that he's been making. I hope right. that he follows through with that, and mm -hmm. he says he's going to dedicate um, to a co dedicate the United States to form a coalition to help them and help to help the French. General. Europe in general and the United States together will have to mm -hmm. to collectively deal with this. I do yeah. like what he's saying. Right. All right. Do you, do you think that he's the best leader that we could have from a military point of view uh, among the Democrats uh, that are kind of in play these days? The best? Um, not necessarily. I think that there could be. I, he's not going to be. I mean, he's. Right on his way out, so we have to find the next... Right. In, in the year, he's got about a year, as, as of this podcast, about a year more in his presidency, certainly less for the election, but he'll be, there's the January lame duck thing. Uh, during that time period, do you feel, do you want him to be more aggressive? Yes. In, okay. All right. And I think he will be. Okay. All right. Well, that's, that's uh, from your lips to God's ears, but uh, we, we are less uh, sanguine and, and hopeful than you are about that, but we, we would very much like to be wrong in that department. We, we think that he'll pay some lip service to it. He will give, uh, maybe put a, more than 50 men that he's promised. He'll put another 10 men, but doing a little bit more is, like that is not really of any significance. In terms of actually really truly engaging himself and with real ground troops and such like that, we're, we're less sanguine, less hopeful about that. But again, like I said, from your lips to God's ears. I think, I think uh, we've kind of wrapped it up. And I think uh, we, we thank you so much for your presence here, Amanda. Your voice is always a reasoned one, and, and it's always interesting to hear your perspective. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. This is Brock Lurie signing off on the Brock Lurie Podcast, and we'll talk with you next week.